Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Descriptions for Authors podcast. If you're watching the video, this is like our first time in person recording. Yeah. Like in the same room. Yeah. So that's a milestone. And we also have a very exciting episode today. We're going to be talking about the five habits of six-figure subscription authors. And you might be asking, what kind of habits are these? Are you talking about marketing? You're talking about, no, no, we're talking about how to live your life, how to approach the process of subscriptions and being an author. We'll be talking about comparisonitis, that term, something that we probably all experience, the struggle that we have in being nice to ourselves, discipline, long-term thinking, a lot of different just mindset and really strategy, how you can approach being an author and specifically things that we've learned some very successful subscription authors tend to do well. I think the first big habit we wanted to cover is trying not to compare yourself all the time and trying to just be happy with where you're at. Not saying that you don't look at people around you, but really trying to not fall prey to viewing other authors as competition, but instead viewing other authors as collaborators because subscriptions yes. all about community. What would you say if I had to tell you like, what has been a time that you've struggled with the competitive collaborative aspect? Like, do you see yourself in some moments being like, I'm feeling like I'm looking at the rankings or feeling this um, type of thing. Yeah, so as a wide author, comparison happens for me like almost every single day because I'm constantly flooded with friends who are in KU and they're always talking about their rankings or they're always talking about how many page reads they have. And I'm just like, as a wide author, I'm seeing this and I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're making so much money, I should join KU. Like, they're so much further ahead of me and I feel like all this pressure to be better and do more and more. It's completely fine if you're in KU, but that's not something I wanna do and I have to constantly like remind myself, no, I don't wanna be in KU, I don't wanna have the stress being number one in the store or having to like try to race there or even spend money on ads. It's just something I do daily is try not to compare, but it's really hard. I feel like especially being an author in a bunch of Facebook groups and seeing all these success stories. Yeah, the sad part about it is rankings are like really fun. Like we can say, oh, we don't like rankings, but yeah, they are fun. People like being number one. I like being number one. I'll just say, it. I'll be honest. It's fun to be number one. It's fun to get the bestseller tag. It's fun to see your ranking go up. It's actually super addicting. I remember when I was in KU and on the Amazon Author Central, this was like before they made a bunch of changes to Amazon Author Central, <laughs> but I would like refresh that thing and be like, where's that ranking at? Where's that ranking at? <laughs> and I would really want to see a high ranking. And I remember the first time I hit like 10,000 in the store, it was like a huge moment for me. And then what was the first thing I did when I hit 10,000 in the store? Let me Google how many books exist on Amazon, right? Oh my so gosh. then I Google how many books exist on Amazon. Okay, so I'm 10,000 books in the store and 10 million books on Amazon. That means I'm in one of the top, like whatever, named like 1% books, power trip, woo, yeah. this is amazing. And then you start to realize, I spent a good amount of the promotion to get me 10,000 in the store. It didn't just happen randomly. I was running Facebook ads too. And I spent some good money. I'm not like making a ton of money at 10,000 in the store, full transparency. And then you realize, okay, I'm here now. My ranks have plateaued. Yeah. And you want to just keep chasing and keep yes. chasing, yeah. Because 10,000 is not good enough anymore. Yeah. And it's a constant wheel of comparison when you look at rankings and you compare, your, compare yourself to the people who are higher than you and you want to get there, but you don't know what it takes. You might not know how much those authors are spending in ads or spending in promotion or just how much they work to get to that point. And you can be working just as hard and spending just as much on ads, but you might not get to that 
point in the store because there's so many other factors that go into it and it's just so hard not to be like wow i'm not doing anything i'm doing so much but it's not getting me anywhere these other authors must be doing a lot more they must be doing x y and z and it's just a constant cycle it's i think sometimes called the hedonic treadmill because we oh hi (laughs) hi kitty you're coming in for a landing you want to be pet we have friends also visiting for the podcast but oh that was no. <laughs> that was funny <laughs> show it off I it's called typically the hedonic treadmill and I don't want to bring things back to like dopamine but dopamine is something that is released and when we hit this high eventually that high doesn't do it for us anymore it's almost like we become addicts and I felt this in two distinct areas of my life I think two areas that we'll all relate to one of them was in school. I used to do this with GPA, where I was like, really? I needed to be yeah. number one. Yeah. The grade needed to be higher. Yeah. It was really toxic. I'm someone who loved learning, but it totally sucked all the fun out of school for me. And then it got competitive and stuff where I had one person tell me that his father worked for the CIA. And, oh, Michael, sometimes people kill people ahead of them in the class to become number one. And, I, and when he said that, I'm like, that's a weird set of sentences. Your father works for the CIA. You want to kill people ahead of you in the class. All right, that's a little awkward. And then we had another kid who told me, like, you can't trust people who are higher than you in the rankings. And I, if I could just cheat to get ahead, I would do it. And that's, like, the mindset of a lot of people. And don't get me wrong, like, in that culture, I wanted to be number one, too. So it was competitive high school. It was something where instead of being friends and really feeling like we were in this together ex- during this hard time of our lives. It felt like we were competing for a limited number of spots in colleges, which is somewhat of a not fictitious in a sense, right? Which is just like on Amazon, you somewhat are competing for a limited number of spots on the top of the store. But then I had to turn around and realize that's not really what life's about anyways. And I wasted all this time and all this stress fighting for a number that when I got there, I didn't feel any better about myself. I had to still wake up and say, oh, I'm me. Oh, I'm number one. But that means nothing. But I don't think I ever really learned that lesson. I'll share the second story too. Yeah, you can. You go first. I want to share the second part to it though. I was just going to say, yeah, once you get into that cycle, it's really hard to get out of. I find myself in that cycle all the time. So I understand. It's part of our nature. Like (laughs) I'm not saying you're wrong to feel it. I don't think you're wrong to feel it because I don't know a single person who hasn't felt it. But at the same time, it's really dangerous. And I knew when I graduated high school, I was like, okay, this isn't the school game isn't the game I want to play. But I still felt like I wanted to play a game that had winners and losers. And obviously, it's nice to win. So we wanted to be winners. And the next game for me was being an author, being an indie author. And that game really didn't spiral out of control for me until about a year in. And I don't know if you've ever, like, running Facebook or Amazon ads. Aren't those dashboards toxic sometimes? Oh, I don't look at them. They are toxic. <laughs> I don't. I can't. I would get stressed out. I may have told this story in the podcast before, so I'll be brief about it, but I stupidly decided to spend $5 a day in the beginning. I was doing Facebook ads. That's Smart. That's how it all starts. Smart, yeah. $5. Small. Good idea. And I saw this is going well. My ranking went up and I was so over the moon about it. So I was like, what if I upped up to 10? That's fine. And remember, I'm not getting paid for three months from this because Amazon. And it was like, okay, $10. Yeah, this is going well. I want to get my ranking up higher, like right now. What if I just started spending $80 a day? So I did that. 
Oh my goodness. Horrible idea. First of all, that's <laughs> not how you should scale Facebook ads. And I learned pretty quickly. But second of all, I like got into this treadmill where I felt like I needed to be spending money to keep the same rank in the store to make me feel good about myself. But I was barely breaking even on the money I was spending. High key was also like technically losing money in the short run because cash flow wise, I wasn't getting paid from Amazon until the end of the calendar month, two months from then. So it was going to be like 90 days until I was getting money from Amazon. I was putting it on a cash, like a credit card, the actual expenses, but I was still missing out on like 30 days. So I was sinking thousands of dollars into ads, but I felt so, so good that I wasn't even able to focus on writing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't focus on writing anymore because I was focused on the ads. I was like, yeah. well, the ads to do well. And then I started to get into the book, get to the flow. And I'm like, wait, the ad, is the ad doing well? What's yeah. the CPC at? It better be okay. Oh, okay, good. The CBC is like 11 cents. We're doing okay. Go back to the book. Go back to the book. Okay. Oh, 30 minutes in. What's the ads at? What's the ads at? Oh. And then, oh, the ads went wrong. It's at 20 cents a click. I got to go make new creatives now. Oh my God. And then you spend all the day in Canva tweaking around 10 times, tweaking this, tweaking that. And it's like, okay. Back to the writing. Back to the writing. And it's just yeah. this constant, terrible race. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's rough. That's really rough. It, it was rough. Yeah. I think like... At least with subscriptions, there's not much of a rank system right now where subscriptions are ranked, like how many people, how many followers people have or how much money they're making. So I don't think comparison, at least in the subscription world, is as bad as like publishing on a retailer right now. But I do sometimes find myself falling into that comparison with other people and I'm like, oh my gosh, this person did X, Y, and Z and they got this many followers, I need to do that too. And then I just think like, I'm doing good. I don't need to do all this extra stuff or do certain things just to get more followers. I can just focus on my fans and really enjoy myself. And that's such a freeing mindset. And it's one also, you were saying not right now in terms of subscription rankings. Since me and Amelia run Reem and Reem is a description of Latin fiction authors, I should probably say, I don't think we're oh, thinking yeah. about implementing our own rankings. So we're not planning on doing that. No. We, don't know what no, other, no. we don't know what will happen broadly, but on Ream, and I think just in general, what I think the beauty of memberships is that the ethos for membership as an author is that you're collaborating in a sense with your readers to try and create better experiences, better stories, and better relationships with your audience. And hopefully in that, you can live a better life, hopefully make some more money from your work, and your readers can be happier. But that's like the ethos of a membership. And the interesting part about a subscription so on KU you get this pay the same amount per page rep same amount per page rep which is totally fine it's a valid business model on Amazon you roughly get similar amounts paid per ebook there's definitely a big difference between 99 cents and 9.99 but in subscriptions there's some readers that pay their authors $3 a month and some that pay their authors $150 a month yeah. I don't want to pretend that authors keep all of the money when they make $100 a month there's usually fiscal good expenses in there but still it's a huge difference in the amount the readers paying and then money isn't the only thing that quantifies how great a fandom is. Like your readers may support you in other ways that have halo effects across your business. They may share because they love your community so much. They may share it in other places. They may also just go and still talk about your books to their family all the time. Whatever they do to support you, the subscriptions, it's the idea that membership in and of itself isn't a ranking. You can't just look, oh, this community has a thousand members. It must be better than the community that has 100 members. That author who has 10,000 readers must be better than the community with 1,000 1, readers. Like, no, sometimes the membership 
and the author in subscriptions with 100 readers is making more money than the author with 1,000 readers. Yeah. We've literally seen examples of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so one of the things you can do, one habit that you can form is focusing on your fans and focusing on building the best experience for them and not worrying about what any other author is doing, especially in subscriptions, because every subscription is set up differently with regards to tiers and with regards to rewards as well, price point. Oh, but one, one last thing I wanna to add to this. We're talking broadly about being an author and comparison to other authors. And I just wanna say it's completely fine if you're in a really bad mental state and you constantly see this one author that you know you're like very envious of, it's completely fine to unfollow them for a bit and just give yourself that space to not compare yourself to them. And I know I've done that for a few people that I compare myself to a lot. And so don't feel bad about doing it because I know I did for a while. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have to do this, but I just need to take a break. Yeah, if I'm being honest too, like in the beginning, a lot of it was like very inspirational for me. Yeah. Because I need to know that it was possible. So authors sharing success stories. I don't want anyone to ever feel bad about sharing success stories. Share success stories in the podcast. It's supposed to be yeah. inspiring. It's supposed to even be enlightening. But depending on where you're at, like you were saying, and also how the success story is shared, it might be toxic for you in a moment. And that's like a good thing to step away from it. I know that I myself don't interact actually all that much in any of the Facebook groups besides subscriptions for authors. And it's not because I don't think some of the Facebook groups are wonderful. I think there's a lot of wonderful Facebook groups, but for me, it's not always even a healthy space for myself to get caught up in. I always sometimes see too, people with new ideas and new ways they're making money as an author. And I instantly feel pressure to be like, oh, I should try this. Yeah, I should sure. do it. And this is one thing me and Amelia talk about a lot. And this is gonna sound ironic because built Rain to help authors make money with a new way of running your business and subscriptions. So one would think we would love authors exploring new ways and we do, but at the same time, I always caution authors against thinking you need to start a subscription tomorrow because it's going to change your life yeah. and this is going to be the thing. It's okay. Your friends might be starting a subscription. You might listen to a success story of one subscription. You might be comparing yourself to them. You might want to be part of what they're doing, but you don't need to try and feel like you have all this pressure and need to do this. And I think this leads perfectly yeah. into our second habit, which is be nice to yourself. Yeah, I agree. As creative people, one of the things me and Michael talk about a lot is we always feel we have to be working, we have to be doing something to get to that next level, to reach those goals. And so like, sometimes it's really great to just slow down and realize, hey, I've done all of these, I've achieved all of these goals, and I can just relax for a little bit. And I know like I get caught up so much in, okay, I achieved this goal and I don't even celebrate it. I'm just like, okay, well, that's cool. Let's go on to the next thing. Let's go on to the next thing. What else can I do? I want to get bigger. I want to have more fans. And I took the time this year to like decide that I want to celebrate every one of my book releases, every one of my translations that I have out because like, those are huge accomplishments. And I, last year and the year before, I was not celebrating them and I was just like the day came and went and I was like oh it's just another day another book's released and it was very toxic at least for me and so it's really nice to just slow down and celebrate those little things even if it's just like going out and getting like a cupcake at the store and just be like yeah I did this it's really cool I agree but. and it's the little things too like a celebration does not have to mean a trip to Disney World or Vegas although if you promised your kids a trip to Disney World I can tell you from talking to multiple authors that you probably have to fall through on that. They definitely will hold <laughs> you to it. But small 
celebrations but might feel like not a big deal, taking the time to step back and recognize yourself and what you've accomplished and your readers and what you're doing is super important. I am personally always trying to get better at this. Always. It's something that when we write one book, never have I ever felt the feeling of, that was it. We've got nothing else left in me. Yeah. We're always ready for the next one. We always have the next book in the series, the next series, the spinoff series, the world that we're creating. And I've talked to so many authors, and this makes me feel like I'm not alone in this, which thank you for making me feel like I'm not alone in my insanity. You have a three-year plan with all these books you want to write, written on a whiteboard. And month by month, you've got this and this one and this series and this series. Trust me, I've been there before. Been there. But that's something that you could get lost in because then it's, oh, I finished one book, but like the three-year plan still has to go. But then it's like... What happens in three years? Do you still have a three-year plan? Because then you could always have a three-year plan, and then this sounds morbid, but sometimes you go to the story world forever. What happens then? Oh, it's morbid, but it's... Where did you take the time to realize that at some point, it's not always going to keep going forward? Yeah. It's really sad, but... Yeah. I know. Oh, that's rough. It's something really important for us to, to think about, to ground ourselves in that. Every moment is something that's meaningful, and we're not taking the time to... to be nice to ourselves, to be grateful. What is life if you're always working? Yeah, that's deep. But yeah, that's very true. That's actually one of the things, one of my goals this year is to get back to where I felt like this was a hobby rather than it being work. Because when I started writing, it was just a hobby and I loved it. I loved sitting down. I loved just diving into a story. But now it's become harder and harder because I view it as work and it's not that, I'm not, I'm very passionate about what I do, but I'm not as excited about having to produce another chapter or another story because it's gonna make me more money. And it's really hard sometimes to get out of that mindset, like money isn't everything. And it's more important for you to be nice to yourself and be happy because you're right, you don't wanna work forever. And if writing feels like work and it becomes work, you're not going to be happy in some instances. Yeah, definitely. It depends on your nature. Like I want to sit here and say like you have to work a 40 hour week, nine to five every day. And that's what balance is. It is balance for a lot of people. And that's great. It's not for me. I'm not that kind of person. You could definitely test that. We're both not that kind of person. We're recording this podcast at like 7.30 on a Friday night. So we're both not that kind of person. <laughs> Just, I mean, up front. But I will say that you aren't watching yourself. And giving yourself breaks when you need it on the schedule you need it. Because this is titled Five Habits, but we're not giving you an instruction manual of wake up at 8 a.m. each morning, get your 30 minutes of writing in. Like We're trying to give you a mindset so you can develop your own habits. So it was a simple title to get you in. We're glad you're here. But I know I felt this for the first time in my life where I really realized, wow, like, what am I doing? When I was in, it's so stereotypical, I was in Los Angeles with the palm trees. But you know, I, it was a moment in my life when I, for the first time, was making a full-time living as a creative person. And it was been my goal forever. And it didn't come in the way that I expected, like it happens for many creative people. I started off as a science fiction author and then was live streaming. It was making a full-time living live streaming, which like, I say it now because like, I don't live stream anymore. It's a whole other world that I had for an era of my life. But at that time, I was working on live streaming and just like creative people, we do many things at once. I was working on a creator, discovery startup. So I was trying to build a created platform where basically people create their own profiles of what they love online and share with other people. So we're doing that at a YouTube channel and I was still in school. I low key kind of took a break of school that semester. There was a lot going on and we were road tripping the country all the meanwhile. And we had taken like a couple weeks to live in Los Angeles. And I remember thinking like, 
this is it. Like, this has been my dream forever. Like, I'm working with creative people. I'm meeting, like, some of the coolest creative people on the planet. I got in, into meeting famous people. By, I brought beer to the Sway Boys' house. Can't, like, advocate showing up celebrities' houses with kegs, but they were happy about it. I had met the executive assistant of Elon Musk in a hotel lobby, and we gave her pizza. It was very fun. So we were like creating all these videos that we were like really passionate about. We're like young kids, like living our lives, trying to make our dreams come true. But in reality, we weren't actually taking time to live those dreams. And I should have been so happy during that period of my life. And in many ways I was, but I was also super stressed. I felt so much pressure on myself and I felt like I always wasn't doing enough. I would wake up every day with a long list of things to do. And I'd go to bed with half of it done, feeling like I was exhausted and tired and like I just was not enough as a person deep down inside. And that was a really dark place to be in. And I ultimately got myself into this feedback loop, validating who I was based off of a to-do list in a day, based off an adventure, based off the next high for the next video, just the next book release, been there too. And I just had to realize I am also outside of my creative work too. Not only do I have to be nice to myself as a creative person, but me, Michael, is not just Michael the author. I'm also something else. I need to yeah. give myself time to be that. Yeah. I don't have a similar story, but I do have a story that kind of goes off of that. And it's actually being nice to yourself when your fans aren't nice to you. And this is a rough one for me because in the beginning of my career, I really loved reading all the reviews. And one thing I've had to do is stop reading negative reviews, but I still read the comments I get on my serial fiction and on my subscription. And some of those comments are really not nice sometimes and i remember we were recording a podcast a while ago and i had been reading through really nasty comments about one of my stories i think it was either you i think it was Elle griffin it was she's so sweet and one of you guys asked me like how are you and i just broke down in tears because i was so upset oh my god i'm gonna cry i was like so upset because these are my fans that are supporting me and they're hating my content or this specific book. And so one of the things I did because I didn't want to deal with it is I just pulled the book down and I was like, you guys just kept telling me you didn't like it. And so I can't continue to update this story for my own personal mental health because I'm relating these comments to like who I am as a person and I can't deal with that. That's going to hurt me. I was rough. That, first of all, I really sorry about that. No, I, do remember, I remember that day. Yeah. And Al, if you're listening, thank you for being such a great friend and so understanding. And that's the thing too, is that if you have a good group of author friends, when something like this happens, they're a good group of people to turn to. Because yeah. from experience, I don't know if your family will understand it. I don't want to say they won't, but a lot of people just, it's very tough to relate to. Yeah. If you're not someone who's creative, putting your work out in the world. Because they'll just say, oh, move on. But it's, no, yeah. wait for a second. Because as much as I just said earlier, like, you need to give yourself space to be yourself outside of your creative work. That's not just like a, cool, I understand that. Thanks, yeah. Michael. I'm going to walk away. I'm here to tell you that it will be a constant struggle, a constant battle. Yeah. And I know we both face, you listening probably face. And a habit is just to be aware of it and to try and manage it and give yourself the space when you need it and be constantly, okay, I need to take some space. Okay, I'm actually going to lean into my creativity now. I'm going to lean into putting my heart into this. But then at some point you have to be like, I also have a heart too. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into the third habit we have, which is discipline and consistency. And one of the habits is 
time blocking for certain things and we put this down to relate to time blocking in your work but I also think it's really beneficial to block out time for yourself and that's something I'm working on this year but like to just be able to block a couple hours of your day and say hey I'm going to go like to the gym at this time and I'm going to do that every single day and I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not going to feel like, hey, I should be working on my business during this time. No, I'm taking time. I'm blocking this time out to work on me, which I think is very important. Yeah, it's so important. I had a class in school that I'm in. I had an entrepreneur come in. She, a social impact CEO. She runs a company that is called Access Track. So it helps people who have trouble maybe navigating over terrain, like maybe sand on the beach, especially people who are in wheelchairs. It helps them navigate over that through these plug and play tracks that you can place down. So it's a really great product. She's passionate about it because her mom growing up had a really horrible seizure and was really in a tough spot mobility wise for many years. And where I really related to her story was not only the passion behind what she's doing, what she's building. Cause I'm like, yeah, I feel that as an author in my stories. I also feel that as running Ream, like I'm someone who's faced these problems as an author, knows like the dark side of like, really the mental health behind it, which we're talking about today and how we wanted to try and create something that could be a bit nicer to you all. In the process of that, we're not always nice to ourselves. I felt this myself. And she came in and just was like, I was working every second of the day. I had a full-time job and then I'd get home and I'd be working every minute on this. And I eventually realized I can't keep doing this every moment of every day. And she finally just said, I gave myself four hours in my calendar a week where I would just do something for me. Whether it was like going on a hike, she lives in sunny Southern California, jealous, but wherever you live, whatever you like to do, whatever you're able to do, to give yourself that space is important. It's honestly something I'm not great at. I don't do very well <laughs> at all, <laughs> but I'm trying. I definitely do working out pretty well. I try and do that very regularly. And I also try and really get outside a lot, but I don't often do the guilt thing, like you were saying, like not guilting myself into it. I just feel like I don't need to do this, but I'm still guilty about it. Yeah. That I'm really working on. Yeah, it's hard. Cause, cause when you're like a business owner and you run any business, even creative or not, you feel like I should be working on this all the time. Like I want to get to the next level. And the only way to get to the next level is constantly working on the specific thing. But that's where like burnout starts. And when you don't give yourself time to just do stuff for yourself, you're going to start like experiencing that kind of burnout or a decrease in passion about what you're doing or yeah. all these other things. No, it's beyond true. I had this problem really bad about two years ago now. I was just coming off of the YouTube and live streaming and also working on a company and I was exhausted. I was at the point where it just was like running on fumes and didn't realize it. And it took my grandma dying for me to take a step back and realize, trying to process that, I am moving way too quickly. And I am yeah. not giving myself the space, just rest. And I should have, in hindsight, did a much better job at setting rules for myself around not just committing to my work, but committing to doing the things I need to do to be the best version of myself. And we'll talk actually a little bit more about some of the things I specifically do in a bit, but I do wanna just mention when it comes to working and setting rules around working consistently, one thing that I personally have found for me, it's personal advice, is that the advice of setting consistent rules every day and a consistent schedule every day 
doesn't always work for me. Waking up and going to bed at the same time definitely is a good idea. That's changed my life. Totally changed my life. I need to take that. Yeah, it's it's the best. I, I'm like not tired anymore. Like very rarely tired because I just wake up. Usually I go to bed around 11 and I wake up around 7 every day. That like really helps me. Some nights I'm more like 12. Some nights I'm more like 10. But you don't want to be within two hours of that. So if you're like regularly going to bed at 11, then going to bed at 3 a.m., that's bad. And I used to always use this excuse, well, I'm feeling creative right now, so I will stay up till 3 a.m. But what I realized is like over the long-term arc of my creativity, I was actually hampering myself because although I would have these bursts of creativity, those bursts would come and go, and then I would flame out. And it would be really difficult to get back to really feeling good. But you'll find in a subscription with consistency is like, if you're flaming out, and unable to be there for your readers and community for three months at a time every year, that's gonna, that may be a little bit detrimental to what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take breaks, doesn't mean you can't go on vacation, but it's not good in anything to be out of practice for three months and feel so bad, or even three days being on and three days off. It's a weird lifestyle that I got myself for years, and then I ultimately ended up being motivated by deadlines. That's where it ended up coming down to, that really the creativity eventually wasn't the thing that was really sparking this. It was the deadline keeping me up till 3 a.m. that I yeah. became creative for, and then, and then you get into the cycle of the next deadline. I caution people around doing that because it can feel like you're setting rules with deadlines and you're holding yourself accountable. But in your reality, you're not actually setting rules for your lifestyle. I didn't do that and it definitely hurt me. That's interesting. Because a lot of times I'm, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before and me wanting to like back to where it feels like a hobby and not work. But right now I'm motivated by deadlines and I write the stories I need to write to get them out on serial fiction platforms. And, but I've been finding more recently, like those stories that I'm writing like that, I'm not as passionate about as the stories I'm just writing whenever I feel creative and whenever I feel like it is a hobby. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I don't want to also say that deadlines aren't important. I have deadlines. Like, I constantly put deadlines <laughs> in myself. It helps me, but it's, my main point was like, don't constantly forsake your sleep, specifically yeah. your sleep. Yeah. Because of a deadline. I, that doesn't mean I don't think you should work at the same hours every day. You might be inspired. You might have a deadline one day where you're going to write six or seven hours a day, where you're going to do this marketing thing six hours a day, because that's what your deadline is. But I do caution against, oh, I have a deadline, so I'm going to stay up till 3 a.m. because I have this thing that's so important to get done. Like that, over the long, it decreases the years that you live sleeping like that. It's like a very big deal. I don't want to, I don't want to say that, but I, some of the classes I take in college are around neuroscience. So I'm very interested in the brain. And that is just something I want to say, like this semester specifically, I have a Croatian medical student. He studies sleep. So I'm just like absorbed in the things you're saying about sleep. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Okay. All right, man. I understand what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to take this one to heart. And I can say that the sleep thing has been important about other things. I'm the head person who goes all in on what I do. So I want to obsess about a project over two or three days, then I'll move on to the next project. So Definitely not suggesting deadlines aren't important. Those deadlines often tell me, obsess about this thing right now, but don't obsess about that thing until 5 a.m. and then wake up at noon and be like, whoa, yeah. new day. I think that can be hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. That is rough. Oh, I've <laughs> done it. sounds rough. I've done it. Y'all have seen my posts in late hours in the Facebook group. Don't think this was like a past Michael and another generation old wise Michael speaking. These are things I still struggle with for the record and things I've like done actively. Like, like these are things like you could just go check the Facebook I, history. I was going to say, sometimes I get a text at like super late at night and I'm like, oh my God, he's still up. This happens. It will still happen. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll get excited about something. I'll need to research something and 
get my answers. So yeah, take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm speaking from struggle, not from the perfection. I'm not speaking from perfection. But I think this goes on to our fourth rule, which we've talked a lot about, but I want to reiterate this, which is grounding yourself in the moment, being present. That is a habit of a successful subscription author. And I think there's a lot that we could talk about off this. And the thing that I wanted to ask you about, Amelia, is have you found a difference in when you're able to be present for your fans? What does that mean to you, being present for your readers? When you're even reading their comments and being like, I'm in the moment here. I'm really paying attention. I'm listening to them. I'm empathizing with them. Yeah, that, to me, that's the best feeling in the world. And I, for the longest time, especially last year, I got away from doing that. I didn't do that every single day. I stopped reading the comments and it was all about work. I need to write more. Forget about the comments. Forget about people loving the story. I'm just going to write more. And I was like, I get back into this feels like a hobby rather than work. Every day I've been reading all the comments I got on the previous chapter that I just wrote and published on serial fiction websites like Wattpad and Radish and Inkit. And I really am trying to become like more in the moment with them and respond to them. And I even like set goals for them. If we reach, just recently we reached 500,000 views on one of my updating stories on Wattpad. And I was like, the week before we were at like 400,000. And I was like, if we can, whenever we get to 500,000, I'm gonna do a double update that day. And it was so cool to just be in that moment and just watch the views. Like we shouldn't look at the views, but it was so fun to see how excited other people were to get that double update and to get that kind of like reward. And it just brought me back. I was like, this is what I love doing. I love seeing how happy people are in the comments and just living in the moment of, I wrote this story, other people are loving it too. Yes, oh, I, I'm with you. I also wanna just highlight something you said, you said don't focus on the views or don't, that shouldn't be the thing, but I want, especially because this podcast, our advice may have come up on the other end. I wanna add nuance to that and saying that it's just not about going to any one extreme. Ignoring the views as a author creator is a bad idea. If you're not getting views on what you're doing, it's a good indication that maybe you should switch around, maybe you should adjust, right? But then the other end of things is we're not media companies. We're not media yeah. conglomerates that have to pump out content incessantly and have to just obsess over the views because of an ad or a publisher's check. Like we're doing this somewhere in the middle. And the answer is not to go to one extreme or the other. Although in some moments we might be closer to one extreme and other moments closer to the other extreme. I get that. That's part of human nature. But I do think that part of being an independent author, an author creator, is being able to find that middle ground between views do matter. Because that's how we get paid ultimately from readers reading our work and even if it's something like subscriptions where you don't have to get a certain number of page rides because you can make more money from certain readers because your super fans are willing to support you more that's great but you still need people reading your work right it's still what this all goes back to it still goes back to you need someone's attention to be able to garner trust and with that trust we're teaching you how to build worlds around that and build incredible businesses that's what we do here at subscriptions for authors but that's the numbers still matter a bit so i definitely want to tell people don't view it is one extreme or the other. So I love that you have that balance right now. Yeah, it's really nice because that's what I used to do when I first started publishing and it wasn't a business. It's really hard. This is probably going back to a few previous points, but it's really hard. Once you get trapped in a cycle of this is a business, I need to make more money, I need to find more fans, it's really hard to get out of and it's really hard to, I don't know the word, but to backtrack and go back to the roots that kind of grounded you in the beginning and yeah. What 
made you feel so magical as a yeah. reader? What made you feel like, I need to keep reading this book, and then you read the next book, and then you eventually start to be like, I want to write a book. What possessed you to do that? Which is amazing, it's a beautiful thing. But being able to step back and put yourself in those shoes is really important. I know that when I didn't do this, and I just focused on the numbers, I immediately started to see, over a longer period of time, things drop off for me. This happened in YouTube. I was able to get up to 30,000 views a day at my peak on long-form content, which I was very excited about. But then I started focusing on what was getting the most click-through rate, what was getting those views, and creating more of that. When if I put myself into the shoes of the viewer, I would have created completely different content. And ultimately, those people who were loving what I was watching weren't watching as much of it because it wasn't connecting with them the way it was because I lost connection with it. That's like a scary thing, but I've seen it happen to authors before. I've seen authors almost become detached from what they're doing because it becomes a business. And then the other extreme is, how do I make this a business? I want to feel that just to, I want to have that problem. That sounds like such a good problem to have. And I understand that as well. And I would just tell you that what's going to give your readers that feeling is tapping into more of that feeling for yourself as well. So it can't hurt to try to be more touch. Yeah. Oh, that was really deep. I don't know. <laughs> that was, yeah. Amelia, you know this. We've talked to authors who make like amounts of money that is unbelievable. Yeah. Like unbelievable amounts of money. They could live unbelievable lifestyles. And I'm not always convinced they're happy. Yeah. I'm not all of them. There's some very successful authors who are unbelievably happy. And I love you and I know many of you too. But there's some authors who really aren't. Yeah. And I think it's that constant feeling like it's a business. It is a business. But sometimes when you get caught up in it, you lose the passion for it. Which is really sad. But yeah. yeah. It's the difference between, again, you're not a media person. And also, I don't think many people listen to this podcast who we're like very focused on the business of publishing. So I don't think we attract many of the people who are like, publishing shouldn't be business, it's just the arts. But we all know like the literary folk, which I love you, literary fiction is great. But it's also something too where it's, you don't want to go to that extreme either necessarily if you're looking to be an independent author and technically run it as a business. But two things that I've found that have really helped me as a creative person and also really help people that I admire is meditation. I do that almost every day. Whether I go on a walk and meditate while I'm walking, I'll sometimes meditate when I wake up in my room. And it's like very important to me. And then another thing I do every week is I go to therapy. That might not be something that you want to do. You might want to do something in another outlet that's similar to you. But doing something therapeutic in your life every week is important. For me, I found that having the accountability of needing to show up at a specific time to talk to someone and have no expectation other than just talking about what's on my mind what I'm going through and not feeling like I'm dumping on a friend because you can feel that way if you're just talking about an hour a week with someone to your problems. And you might also feel the people in your family, even if someone is there like that for you, which not everyone has people in their family like that there for them. And I'm aware of that, but you might not want to put them through that. Like they're also supporting you in a very particular way. So for me, therapy has been helpful and just being able to ground myself for a week to be able to go, okay, let me be more present. Let me really think about what's going on inside of here so that hopefully I can be a better version of myself, live a better life, be happier. And I started going to therapy, I think 18 months ago. Totally has changed my life. Meditating, I think I started right around the same time, 18 months ago. Totally changed my life. Again, I still have all the same problems that I had before, but I deal with them a bit better now. I'm a bit happier now and that's progress. That's really awesome. I love that. I don't do meditation, but every night, or depending on the time of day, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what time of day it is, but I spend about two hours, two to three hours, literally just walking around. I have this like huge room upstairs and I just walk around it. 
pace back and forth and listen to music and it's just like the most calming thing in the world for me. That's therapeutic. That's and, definitely therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like it's crazy because it, I'm not doing anything, but it just it brings me back back down and I'm just like, I can do this. It's very grounding, so. I love that. We all have our own personal habits. We just shared ours. We'd love to hear yours. Maybe we'll start, someone should do this. If like you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wow, like, I mean, you like this. First of all, let us know because we have no idea what podcast episodes you like unless you tell us. Just like it's important to have your readers let you know what they like. And if you like this episode, maybe we start a thread in the Facebook group. I'll let one of y'all start it. Make a post about, hey, what are our habits that we do to maintain our wellness? I'd love to hear what some of y'all do. A lot of times it just takes realizing what other people are doing to realize, one, we're not alone. And two, maybe there's something that someone else does that helps them that can also inspire someone else to help themselves. I leave it to y'all and whoever does it, I love you. But <laughs> we will we'll move on to our last habit here, which is habit number five, long-term over short-term thinking as one of the tenets of being a subscription author, one of the habits of a subscription author, which this one is easy at hard. It's like easy to talk about, think long-term over short-term, but that doesn't do much. I feel like it's a constant pressure that I always feel between short-term and long-term and trying to balance that. Yeah. I agree. I've been thinking subscriptions are built off of long-term thinking and relationships with your fans, but it's again, it's really hard when you're caught up in a, a fast business growing mindset. And it's hard to see me doing the community stuff, like talking to fans and hosting live events online and doing all this like little stuff, it's hard to see in the moment how much of an impact it really makes on your business. Every time I do community stuff, I'm like, oh, like, I don't know if this is going to do anything, but it really helps me get closer to my fans. And when you're really close to your fans, especially in a subscription business, it's really beneficial for you. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting thing. Too. It's so much easier to tell your books are selling well rather than when your community is going well. Yeah. And a lot of times we say the word community, it's really important, but I feel like it's really hard to conceptualize what it is because I don't necessarily mean that your community is a Facebook group. I don't necessarily mean that your community is on Ream, although it could be. I don't necessarily mean that your community is a specific newsletter. Your community is just all the different ways that you interact with your fans, your fans interact with each other. And not one platform or one thing could encapsulate that. Your readers probably talk about your books elsewhere. Like in IRL, we'll never track that. Thank God. I don't want to know what your readers <laughs> talk about in their private times. But they only talk about your books. That's great. So the tough part about this is you don't get a measurement of that. That doesn't just lead to yeah. a direct sale. You go, woo, that was fun, right? All the things we're talking about earlier. There is something that at least gives us direction. And I talk to a lot of authors who go, no one responds to my newsletters. Am I doing this all for nothing? And it's really hard to know because you're trying to think long-term, but you're going, if this is going nowhere in the short term, is this going to even get anywhere in the long term? It's a really tough paradox to be in. And it's really hard to make decisions based on that. Yeah. It's really hard. It's something that I've been struggling even communicating to people who are outside of the book industry about how little metrics there are that are reliable. Like outside of book sales, it's hard to know how the next book is going to sell. Very difficult to predict that. If someone could have predicted it, first of all, I want you on the podcast, second of all, you probably wouldn't even share it because that's like such great formula. There really isn't one. So it's really hard to tell what's gonna hit, what's gonna do well. And ultimately, it comes down to the thing where most of your fans will actually never tell you. Yeah, yeah. And it's a truism in customer service, but people usually only tell you when something's wrong. 
Yeah. And it's very easy then to think when you get those one star reviews, you hear about the typo, you hear about this, like my book stinks. But what you didn't hear was the 10 times more people than that who thought, wow, this was great and yeah. didn't share anything. Kind of going back to that story I shared earlier where everyone was like attacking my story and I took it down. So I was receiving nothing but negative comments on that story. And I guess a bunch of people were reading it, but all I saw were negative comments. And so I was like, these people hate it. I'm just gonna take it down because I can't deal with it anymore. But as soon as I took it down, I got tons of messages. They were like, oh my gosh, I love that story so much. It was my favorite one of yours. And it just goes to show people are very opinionated when they don't love something, but when they love something, they might not tell you about it. And it's really hard to get your readers to, to say, sometimes it's really hard to say, oh my gosh, I love the story, keep writing it. Because especially when you see a bunch of negative comments, you might not be sure. As a reader, your reader might not be comfortable saying, oh, hey, I actually really like this. And it becomes the negative part of having a community too, because people, I don't know the right word for it. It's not creep thing, but. Yeah, no, there is an aspect of that for sure. And it's, I'm forgetting the exact psychological term, but it's the exact thing when the first two people in a room raise their hand and they like something, the next people, whether they like it or not, are much more likely yeah. to start raising their hands and say, yes, I like it, or the opposite. So that can be really challenging. But when thinking about the long-term kind of point of this, it's that I think we have been lied to for such a long time as systems that rule over publishing. Yeah. And we've been lied to in such a big way because publishers do well off of, and platforms as well, do well off of squeezing you, the author, the vendor, and trying to maximize the value that they can get from the work that you're creating. Now there's a symbiotic relationship because they can create value for you. Maybe they can help you find new fans. Maybe they can distribute your work. Maybe they can help people access it in a way. It's a symbiotic relationship, right? But ultimately, that's what a lot of these platforms try and do. That's what their business models as a publisher, they make money off doing that. Now, the flip side of things is that they can win together. The mindset could be different. The mindset could be, let's help the author. Let's empower the author and let's do that. But I think this is why they haven't done that. This is why they haven't done that. Because if we actually band it together as authors, going back to our first habit, that it's all about collaboration. If we really collaborate together as authors, we control this industry. We have the IP, the readers, the trust, we have everything. We have everything. There does not need to be any platform publisher. We are the ones who have the hearts of the readers. That's why we like to say that storytellers rule the world. But if that is true, and it is, we so deeply believe that, then the people who want to rule your world have to be telling you another story. The story that just this one advance is gonna change your life. The story of spend all this money on the ads, run this promo, the algorithm's gonna shoot you up and you'll get that long tail and you'll finally be able to make a living as an author and quit your job, right? Whatever that thing is, that story usually is based around short-term success, right? It's yeah. that goal that they can hold in front of you. Do this thing that makes our business better and gives us more control over you because you're gonna be successful in the next 90 days. Oh, and so this is based off, I felt that so deeply before, so deeply, but it's a lie. Because at the end of the day, you do not need anything but your stories yeah. to take over the world. It's why storytellers over the world. And I just think it's such a deep, deep embedded lie in this industry. And I think, well, subscriptions is by thinking long-term, by giving you the power to set your prices, have that platform of your readers, not another, not be ruled by a platform, but create your own platform, tries to undermine that, tries yeah. to give you the power.
Yeah, I completely agree. I don't even have any other points to make on that because I agree completely. As a resounding, <laughs> I'm very grateful for you all listening. And this podcast, you'll notice, if you've listened to our other podcasts, we're at about 30 episodes now. They're, we think, awesome. But they're also very much focused on the business. They're talking to amazing people like y'all out there. We definitely get personal some of the podcasts, but we've never just dedicated a podcast to getting more personal. And we want to do more of these. We figured we'd start with these habits, these big kind of topics, but we'd love to dive deep into any one of these. We'd love to talk about things and share stories from our lives as authors behind the curtain that'll help y'all. So please let us know what y'all think about this episode. Please let us know things that you'd be interested in hearing us because I know at some point there's enough tactics, there's enough strategies, the things that can really help times help push you forward. It's just a new way of thinking about things. It's just being able to relate to something in a new way. We hope we can give you that. Either way, we're very grateful for you giving us your time. Definitely be sure to check out the Facebook group. It's linked in the description. It's facebook.com slash subscriptions for authors. It's an amazing community you can join. And we also have a free book that you can download. It's called Descriptions for Authors Starter Guide. And if you sign up for our mailing list, we'll get sent a copy. So you can check that out in the description below. And then we've mentioned it a few times, but we're really excited for the launch of something pretty big coming up. That's all I'll say. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day. And don't forget, storytellers rule the world. Oh, 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 oh,